every time. How is everybody today? I'm, I miss Pastor Jim. He's on vacation, and I tell you, it's all these little details he's always thinking about. He helps me so much. Thank you. I appreciate that, Pastor William. It is Mother's Day, and happy Mother's Day. I, uh, I hope that for all of you, you'll take advantage of the portraits that they're offering out front, and thank you, Lisa, for uh, putting that together this morning. And um, it's just something that we wanted to allow, you know, you have an opportunity, because so, it's so hard to get pictures together, and then everybody shows up to church, and we're like, that just seems like the no-brainer gift. And um, so... If the line's long, it's okay. We're going to be a lot like Chick-fil-A. Um, the line is always long, but it goes so much faster than you really think. So just risk it, do it. It'll be great. Talk to your kids, hang out, talk to each other. It'll all be good. Now, for Mother's Day, I, wanted to, I found some definitions and quotes that I wanted to share with you. One, because I think they're funny. And two, because I think it's just a good celebration of all things mom. And so first I wanted to, oh, that's not it. Um, could you jump back to the red ones, like probably about eight before that? The first one says something like the definition of mom. Oh, and you can't, oh, you can read them. Good. I can't. That's terrible. All right. So definition of mom, one person who does the work of 20, but instead of getting paid, she pays all she has for those she works for. You agree with that? I mean, come on. Um, I love this one. Goodness, no. <laughs> All right, go to the next one. I'll let you do it um, because it's like on shuffle or something. Um, and I've given it away. I've given it away. All right, so the next one was a mom's proverb. Do you see that one? Where it says half, half the time moms feel like they're running an insane asylum. The other half they feel like they belong in one. <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, the next one is the make-believe definition of success. Make-believe definition. Perfection. Your kids behave in restaurants, they share their toys, they get along with siblings, and they enjoy fresh baked treats after school. And then there's reality, the actual definition of success. Nobody died today. Nobody ate something they found on the Walmart floor. Dinner was served by bedtimes, and no kids were lost in the store or forgotten at baseball practice. That. That is a win. We call that a win. All right. And mom's definition of vacation, 10 uninterrupted minutes in the bathroom. <laughs> moms, I pray that you, that you get your vacation today. I pray that you get that. And then uh, I think the next one's a millennial blessing. Yeah. Happy Mother's Day to somebody who carried me for nine months physically and for 29 years financially. <laughs> Ah, and then finally, it's a cartoon. It's a cartoon uh, about moms. If you can find that, it, it, it's, that, there it is. If you're, if you're streaming and you can't see it, you have, a, you have a boy pulling out Superwoman's cape, and he says, see, I told you, and the girl's saying, so that's how she does it. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. You are super moms. Uh, you have the most selfless job in all of existence, and I want to thank you for, for being a mom. Now, 
I know that Mother's Days aren't easy for everybody because there's so many different situations. For some in here, you might have lost your mom recently, and it's still really tender. Some of you might not even have moms that, that you have a lot of memories about, good memories at all. And, um, and I know that there are people in here who desperately want to be a mom, but that hasn't happened. And I, I want you to know that in today's message, the overall theme is God has not forgotten you. That God is walking with you. And sometimes life is hard. It often is. And sometimes it takes turns that we don't expect. But God has not forgotten you. And I believe that today you're not here by accident. See, I think that God, if you're here in pain, God wants you to experience his love and his peace and his joy. And he wants you to feel through his people, his, his tangible hands and hugs. And I, I, so you're not here by accident. He wants you to feel loved on today. So before we start, let's pray for the women in our lives. Moms and those who want to be moms and those who are struggling with moms and all of that. Pray, let's pray together. God, I want to say thank you. Thank you for the moms in our lives. Thank you for the women who maybe they weren't even moms. Maybe they were aunts. Maybe they were Sunday school teachers, teachers uh, at school. But thank you for the women who invest in us. We are who we are today, the good stuff, <laughs> because of, of those, those women. Thank you. Lord, for the hurts in this room, I pray that you just begin healing them. God, I pray that you begin restoring brokenness, and I pray that, uh, that today is the beginning of a journey towards life the way you have designed it. We honor you and thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, now I'll let you go to the first slide, and I'm so sorry if they were shuffled. I have no idea what happened, and so um, as, as we do this, oh, actually, forgive me. Is the town hall meeting thing in there? Oh, yes, I, I got a thumbs up. All right. Now, before I jump into the message, I, I needed to, to address some concerns. Um, I heard this past week about the town hall meeting coming up. It appears that uh, town hall meetings, family meetings, those kind of things don't always have the best reputation around here. And so uh, I wanted to let you know and assure you that I am really excited about this town hall meeting. I mean, this is a good thing because for crying out loud, you don't have pizza at bad meetings, okay? And we're having pizza. So this Friday night at 4.30, we're doing, the, you know, the pizza will be here at 5 o'clock. What, what did I say? Did I say Friday? Wow. I did that on purpose. It was a test. You passed. Good job. Sorry. Saturday. Wow. You think I even wrote it in my notes. No, I didn't. That's why. All right. But you don't have pizza to bat at me. Saturday is our town hall meeting that uh, will start at 5 o'clock. Now, this is not the kind of meeting where we're going to be making decisions. Those meetings are hard. <laughs> That's not this meeting. This is an information gathering meeting because there are, there are some things that myself, especially because I'm new around here and our leaders, we need to know about how it's going or how it has gone. And we, I want to get the pulse of Avalon Church. I, have in, I need information that you have. And so I'm excited because you're going to come on, on Saturday night and everybody's going to receive this little remote control thing. And I have a very good friend who is going to be uh, facilitating this meeting. His name is, is Tom. And he is going to ask lots of questions about our past and about our, where we are today and about what, what we hope for the future. And we're all going to put our answers in anonymously and, and, you know, in these remote controls. And then we're going to see the results immediately on the screen. And we're going to be able to kind of see who we are, because I bet it's different than what most of us expect. And it's going to give us just an opportunity to talk about uh, just 
about Avalon and what's happened in the past and, and you know, the good stuff and where, where, where we are today and, and about the future. And so, anyway, I am pumped about this meeting. It's going to last no more than 90 minutes. And um, I would ask this. If you call Avalon Church your home and there is any possible way you can make it Saturday, please, please come. Because I'm, 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 I'll tell you right now, I know I've been told I'm crazy, and I'm okay with that because I've been that way my whole life. But I'm praying, God, 200 people is what I would love to be in this place because I believe in our future. I believe in what God has called us to do in our community. And I believe in what God has called us to do within, within this group about growing and maturing people in, 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 in Christ, going out and being his hands and feet to the world around and I think that we need to all get on the same page. And, and I, we do that by finding out what reality is. Because I think that's what leadership is. It's figuring out where reality is so that we can go forward. So if you will do that, I'm going to challenge you with this. On that connection card, if you're new, don't worry about it. Just mark the box that says you're new. But if you, are, uh, if you consider Avalon Church your home, I would ask on that connection card, mark that you're going to be here Saturday night. That'll help me with the pizza orders, but it will also, I just, it will give me an indication if I need to pray harder. All right, sound good? Okay, now, is the next one the, that's it? Very nice. Thank you. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, and you are here because your wife it's Mother's Day, and she either coerced you or made you feel guilty, or maybe you just wanted to be nice, and you're here today. Regardless of why you're here, I am excited that you're here. I think we're going to have some fun today. See, today's story, it might help you see something that's going on around you that you haven't been aware of before. Today might just provide a fresh look at, the, at, at our lives. And um, today's story, as I was reading it, I'm telling you, this story, should have it was made for a comic book. It's just that kind of story with good and bad and, and the way it's laid out. And I just... I thought it would be not just a cute way, but I actually thought it would be helpful to put today's slides in a comic, comic book format because I thought it might do justice as to the way the story is laid out. And since there, there are about six characters in this story, five of which are names you've never heard of, I mean, these are just bizarre names, it's hard to tell who is good and bad. And so what I did is I used some familiar faces from Star Wars to kind of help remind you who is good and who is bad as they're talking. See, the story is about a mom. There's the connection. All right. The, the story is about a mom, but it's not your typical mom. And this mom, she lived during one of the most brutal, vicious, violent times in, in uh, Israel's history. And um, what had happened up to this point is Moses had just led, you know, the people, the Israelites, out of slavery, uh, out of Egypt. And so all of a sudden, they're no longer slaves. And Joshua leads them into the promised land. And so they, they they're in the promised land to accomplish a purpose. Their, their job, the whole reason for their existence as a people, is to show the world what God was like. That he was holy and good. That, that he was a God who loved his created people, meaning the world. He loved people, and he was pursuing them, and he wanted, he wanted them to know the, him. He wanted to offer life to the world. That was the plan. But what happens in the book of Judges is it's this collection of stories that illustrate Israel's complete and utter failure to fulfill that purpose. 
Instead of showing the world around them what, it was, what God was like, they became just like the world around them, which they call them the Canaanites. And so you'll see that some. But um, the, the Jewish, I mean, they weren't called Jews yet. The Israelite, all these, these, these tribes of Israel started becoming evil and doing just atrocious things. They, they began worshiping idols. They even dabbled in child sacrifice. And it was just a horrendous time. So the book of Judges shows how far the people had fallen from what they were supposed to be. They did, not only did they no longer know the God who had rescued them from Egypt, they didn't even have any idea what his character was like anymore. They just didn't know. It became apparent that slavery was not what they needed to be freed from. That was never their problem. Their problem was themselves. They needed rescue from who they were. And the book of Judges describes it as this. It says, Another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. And then later on it says, In those days Israel, they had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And so the story, it shows that the tribes of Israel, they became more and more corrupt with every generation. It just got worse and worse. And so just real quickly, there was, there was this cycle where they would start in sin at the top and then they would suffer. And they would, they would be this downward spiral where um, it would be, they would be miserable because some outside people would conquer them and oppress them and put them in slavery. And they'd, they'd finally discover the error of their ways and they would repent and go, God, we need your protection. We need your help. We have, we have sinned. We have done wrong. And so God would raise up a deliverer called a judge. And, and don't think justice of the peace. A judge was more like a tribal chief, a tribal leader. And so the judge would unite the people and they would defeat uh, whoever was you know, their enemy at the time. And then it says there would be this era of peace and everybody would be good. And then the next generation would be born and they'd look at the world around them and go, ooh, I like that. And ooh, look at those pretty colors. And ooh, and then they would start the whole cycle again. They'd sin, suffer, repent, save, peace. And it would get worse and worse with every single generation. And so today's message is about one of these cycles with a woman named Deborah. She was a judge who lived somewhere around 1200 B.C., you're, if you want to look in the scriptures, and forgive me, I'm going to jump around because the, the story is in Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5. But chapter 4 is the story told in narrative form. And then chapter 5 is the story told in a song. And there's different details in different parts, and so that's why I jump around a little bit. So you got to think, 1200 B.C., a woman is the judge. Now, a woman leading was really weird. A woman leading one tribe was weird. A woman uniting all the tribes was even more bizarre because in ancient Middle Eastern culture, it was such a male-dominated society. So for Deborah, when, she, when God made her the judge, the, the tribal chief, even the enemies laughed. You know, you guys have a woman leading. And then she got pushback even from within her own tribes. She was set up to fail. The story says this. It says, after um, Ehud's death, who was the former judge before Deborah, the Israelites again did evil in the sight of the Lord. They followed that same cycle, that pattern. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor. He was a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in, I love this, Herosheth Haguyim. 
That is just a fun word to say. I don't care who you are. Herosheth Hagayim. And um, I'm so, maybe it's just me. I thought it was awesome. I, I, just makes you want to say it. But anyway, so you have two characters introduced here who are vital to Deborah's story. You have King Jabin and you have Sisera. King Jabin is king of the Canaanite tribe and his leader is Sisera. Both of these men are bad. They're really bad. And they were very powerful. Judges tells us this. It says that Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So kind of a little bit of background. In the Middle East during this time, this was a period in history that, that is called the Iron Age. And what happened in the Iron Age is some people discovered how to use iron. And they, were e they easily conquered anybody who either did not have access to iron ore or did not have the technology to use it. So the tribes of Canaan at this time had iron. The tribes of Israel did not. And so the Canaanites ruthlessly took advantage of their power. They stole crops from Israel. They, they would kill the men. They would... They would steal the women and children and put them into slavery in Canaan, and there was absolutely nothing that the Israelites could do about it. They were completely overpowered. So the story continues. It says, the people avoided the main roads. Travelers stayed on winding pathways. They just, they hid. There were few people left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother of Israel. So here's Deborah, the mother of Israel. And everybody looked up to Deborah. Deborah is good, all right? She's one of the best leaders in the whole book of Judges. See, Deborah was witnessing 20 years of oppression by the Canaanites and knew something had to be done. Something had to be done. The oppression somehow had to end. So she called for a man who was experienced in battle. It says, one day she sent for Barak. Barak. Now, Barak, he's also a good guy. But he doesn't want you to know it. He doesn't want you to know. He likes th doing things his way. That's the Barak way. So Deborah says to Barak, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the Israelite tribes of, of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. So, you know, Barak's like 10,000 warriors. I got it. Call them. We got it. Hey, guys, we need lots of warriors. We need troops. We need them now. 10,000 soldiers. That's good. And then she continues. And I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. And you're like, hmm. So Deborah wants Barak to prepare to fight on the wide plains of the Kishon River. But see, Barak's troops are all mountain fighters. The, Israel's best defense is in the mountains, high, on the high ground. Fighting on the plains plays to the strength of the chariots. See, it provides them with wide open spaces to chase you down and slaughter you. Chariots couldn't go up into the mountains. And so Deborah's saying, Barak, I want you to go down to the plains where the chariots are and fight. So this... This is not a good battle plan. This is terrible. In fact, from Barak's point of view, this is going to be a massacre. And so Barak balks. He says, I'll go. I'll go, but only if you go with me. You got to wonder what's going through his mind right now. Because he's like, Debbie, uh, this is a bad plan here. Um, 
we're going to die. You're in charge. We'll do whatever you say. But I don't want to die with everybody thinking this plan is my plan, all right? So if you say the plan is from God, great. Are you willing to put that in motion? And are you so confident that you'll come? And she says, very well. I'll go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. For the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So she's like, of course, I'll go with you. Just understand, military man, if I go, there's going to be no glory in it for you. And then as a sidebar, it's really strange in the story, we're introduced to another character, Heber the Kenite. It says, now Heber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, I don't know who Hobab is, so I didn't get a picture for him. Um, he had moved away from the other members of his tribe. Now, this becomes important in just a minute. But see, the Kenites, they were descendants of the family of Moses' wife. She was not an Israelite. So the Kenites were part of her family. So they were the in-laws of the Israelites. They weren't Israelites, you know, but it was like, they'd always been treated like family, you know? It was like... <laughs> They were, they weren't family, but they were in the crowd, you know. And so, um, and I don't know where that came from, so I'm sorry. Um, so the Kenites were involved. They had peace with the Israelites. They were even allowed to live in the promised land alongside the Israelites. And the Kenites, they specialized in metalworking. And while the Israelites didn't have much metal, who did? <laughs> the Canaanites. And so it became a constant temptation through history that the Kenites would begin working or developing relationships with the Canaanites, helping them with the iron. And they, some of the Kenites even began building weapons that the Canaanites would use against the tribes of Israel, including these 900 chariots of Sisera. And so you have Heber here who is definitely considered a traitor. He is not somebody that everybody, anybody likes. And we'll get to the importance of that soon, but sorry, I got to go back to Barak and uh, Sisera. So it says that when Sisera was told that Barak had gone up to Mount Tabor, so Sisera is told Barak is getting his troops together. And so it says Sisera called for all 900 of his iron chariots and all of his warriors. I mean, it was like all in, baby. We're getting the whole group here. And they marched to the Kishon River. So they were ready. Can you imagine the terror of Barak and his troops being on the mountain, semi-safe, looking down into the valley at, oh, sorry. Oh, gosh, will you go back? I, I keep clicking. At, you know, Hundreds, maybe thousands of men and chariots that look somewhat like TIE fighters. I don't know how they did it. Um, so you have all of this, this army, chariots and everything coming at you. And you're, I know that you got to be like, seriously, God, Deborah, did we get this wrong? I mean, 99 out of 100 moments like this, you die. We're going to die. And then in the midst of all of that, to their shock and maybe their horror, Deborah shouts, go! <laughs> this is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. And so Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle, and they knew they were going to die. But then something happens. It says, when Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. 
And then it says, Barak chased the chariots and the enemy all the way to Heresheth Hagoyim, Sisera's home, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. And you're like, who wrote this story? Because you left out some of the good details. I mean, you know, they're going down, we're going to die, but they don't. And you're like, I need more. I want more details. And so we see a couple in chapter 5 uh, in the song, and it says, The kings of Canaan came and fought, but they carried off no silver treasures. The stars fought from heaven. The stars in their orbits fought against Sisera. And then you're like, that didn't help much. And then it says, the Kishon River swept them away. That ancient torrent, the Kishon, march on with courage, my soul. Then the horses hooved, hooves hammered the ground, the galloping, galloping of Sisera's mighty steeds. And you go, something, this, I don't know what's going on. Why, what does all this mean? So I'm like wondering that myself. I do a little bit of research and all of a sudden I find out that several times in history, on Mount Tabor, an icy storm has swept down the mountain and changed the tide of war. It happened in 1799 with Napoleon. Napoleon's army was, was there, and a huge storm comes down, and it helps Napoleon defeat the land. He took that area. And then in World War I, the same thing happened, and the British defeated the Turks. And so if you look back in history, you see that there is a famous historian named Josephus. Don't worry about that name. He's not a Star Wars character. He's not that good. Um, he reports that that is exactly the same thing that happened in this day. Snow and slush rush down the, the mountain onto the, and overflow the plains of the Kishon River. And what happens is it bogs down all of those heavy iron chariots in the thick mud and slush, and they could do nothing. They were just stuck. So everybody jumps off the chariots and flees because their whole plan is now garbage. And all of them were killed except for one because it says Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael. I'll tell you who she is in a minute. She's the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of... See why I have the pictures? Because, wow, there's a lot of names. Um, Jael and Heber together, uh, they have an alliance with King Jabin. Uh, yeah, so that, yeah. So there's this alliance between Heber the Kenite and Jabin the Canaanite king. And it says that uh, we have Heber and Jael. We know that, um, I'm sorry, Heber and Jael are their, their husband and wife. Sisera goes to Jael's tent. He's expecting safety because, you know, they're on the same side. And so what happens is it says that uh, Jael went out to meet Sisera, and she said to him, come, come into my tent, sir. Come in, don't be afraid. And so Sisera goes into her tent, and she covers him with a blanket, which me lends me to think that it really was cold. I mean, he's probably running on foot, freezing. He gets into her tent. She puts him in a blanket, and, and then he says to her, Jael, please give me some water. I'm thirsty. And so she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Now, th this is Don's interpretation, all right? I, I imagine this is like some, some tender moment. I imagine Jael holding Sisera's head, giving him some milk as he just sips it, you know, in this, this moment. And then she covers him in his blanket, and he's feeling some hope, and he's like, safety. And then he tells her, thank you. <laughs> Stand at the door of the tent. If anyone comes and asks you if there's anybody here, say no. So protect me. And he must feel safe 
because he's exhausted. And it says that uh, Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion. And Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. And then she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground, and then he died. (laughs) And you're like, did anybody see that coming? I mean, I'm reading this going, what? I mean, that is set to turn a tent peg in his head. Oh, my gosh. I have a video right now to show you about that. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't. It's horrible. It's ridiculous. This is such a violent time, and it's war, and it's awful. But, you know, for an oppressed people, the the tribes of Israel, this story became a hugely celebrated story of God's deliverance from oppression and God's justice for a people who were completely taking advantage of them. And Deborah's prophecy came true. A woman was the hero of the story. God delivered his people through a woman. And the story continues, and it just says that, um, one more. Yeah, it says, when Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, come, and I'll show you the man you were looking for. And he followed her into the tent, found Sisera lying there, dead, with a tent peg through his temple. And in the song, it ends with these words, and then there was peace in the land for 40 years. And I know you're going, okay, that's, it is, I enjoy this story. It's, I mean, it's terrible, but, you know, it's like we all like to watch a train wreck. Um, what a story. But you might be wondering, Don, what a weird story for Mother's Day. Really? I mean, what does this have to do with moms, and what does this have to do with me? And there really is something. You see, the whole book of Judges is a description of how bad people can get. How far down, they, how, how far we can plummet, you know, from where we were supposed to be, where we were intended to be. I mean, so far that the Canaanites were known for child sacrifice, and you couldn't even tell a difference between the Canaanites and the Israelites. See, the book of Judges is not for the faint of heart, and there are stories in here that I, could, I probably would never show, share on a Sunday morning because they're just, they're too disturbing. They are. But I think that's the point, See, I think that's the point. These stories, they serve as a warning, but also a hope. See, Israel was in self-destruction mode. They had turned away from the God who loved them and had rescued them. They continually rejected God's plan for them, a plan of life, a plan to bring life to others. They they continually chose self-destruction. Yet, each time they rebelled, God was there. He offered to save them. He continually called them back saying, come back. Don't live in your self-destruction. You don't have to. Even though you've come to the worst place you could ever be, I'm still saying, come back. I invite you back. God continually offered another chance at life and hope and to have a future every time. See, that's what we call the gospel the good news of God, that every one of us has chosen to do life our own way. Every one of us. We all live paths of self-destruction. We become so broken, we, we have to deal with the horrible consequences of our choices. Yet, right in the midst of the brokenness, right there in the midst, no matter how far we've gone, no matter how far we've, or how much we've rejected God, He invites us back. He says, come, come back. I love you. I want to offer you life. You see, maybe you need to hear this. There is nothing you can do 
that would cause God to stop loving you. There is nothing that you could become, no matter how bad it is, that could cause God to stop loving you and saying, I want to offer life. I want to come to you right where you are. Choose me. You are his created child. God loves you. And like he continually invited the Israelite back, Israelites back in the midst of their sin, that's what he's doing for you and me. See, his way is life. God wants to give us freedom. Now, maybe you're new here. Maybe you think that as you came in, you saw all the smiles of people around you and you're like, you know, you, you just think, yep, that's church. People acting like they have it all together. People acting like they're happy. But I want you to know something. That has absolutely nothing to do with the smiles in this place. See, people are smiling here because it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do. The smiles are because we surrendered. We said, God, my way doesn't work. It's your way. And what happened is, and it's crazy, but when we surrender our lives to God, we think, oh my gosh, I'm giving up my freedom. And it's the exact opposite. We give God our everything, and we find out that we have finally received freedom that we didn't know existed. That's why people are smiling in this place. Because we have sensed something that God has created us for. Freedom. In him. We are not okay, but God still loves us. See, most of the Bible, judges included, is the story of a broken people, the Jews, waiting for God's promised deliverer to come and save them. And he eventually did. He did. That person was Jesus. See, God so loved the world that he gave, he came in bodily form. He left heaven to rescue us. How? Who would have guessed it? By dying. See, Jesus' death would, would make the way, it was the way God would pay for our brokenness, uh, uh, our pride, our arrogance. Last verse. Romans 5.8 says this, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice this doesn't say, fix your life, then God will accept you. That's not this verse. In the midst of your sin, in the midst of where you are, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the horrible consequences you are suffering because of your choices, in the midst of that, Jesus said, I love you so much, I will become man and I will die for you. I love you. I've done everything necessary to make you right with me. So he invites you, trust me, surrender to me. I want to lead you, this is God talking, I want to lead you into the life you were created for. That's where freedom is, but the choice is yours. The choice is yours. You can continually continue doing life your own way, and the book of Judges is that story over and over. Read it. You don't want to live that story. It's an awful story. Or you can experience freedom that God has given you by surrendering to him and saying, God, I've made a mess. It's yours to clean up. I follow you. You can do that today. I think that's the beauty of this story, that God loves you so much right where you are that you can find life in him. Will you give your life to him? Let's pray together.